She's going to read the Bible for us now. So she's reading from Romans chapter 8. That's on the printed on the back of your sheet. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Okay, so please keep that in front of you and let's pray one more time just that God would help us coming to this passage today. Father, we do give you great thanks and praise for this word. Thank you for uh, the whole book of Romans, Lord, for the whole of the New Testament really and Lord, the, the... way that it, it guides us to, to understand how to live, how to live in light of the truth of your death and resurrection. So, Father, we pray that you would uh, fill our hearts, Lord, with gratitude and thankfulness for your death. Lord, that you'd fill us our, in our hearts with hope and joy for life beyond death. And Lord, that you would fill our hearts with an eagerness this morning to, to understand better how to walk in your ways and how to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen. Well, this is still just close enough that I can ask this question. Um, how was your Christmas? How was your Christmas time? For some of us, we might have had a really enjoyable time catching up with people. For others, it might have been uh, difficult or frustrating, or chaotic. There's lots of different uh, ways that that season often plays out. For um, my family, uh, Christmas has often been uh, a magical thing. In fact, I'm not really talking about my family. I'm talking about my Tara's family, my extended family. Christmas is like a magical thing, all the kids around. But recently and increasingly, we're spending less time with with that side of our family. who aren't believers. Um, Our Christmas, however, has become more and more focused on Jesus, more and more filled with joy rather than magic and wonder like we often think about with the presents and the Sandy Claus and all that kind of stuff. Filled with joy and with hope and with sincerity. And it's really interesting that those things so deeply fulfill and yet so firmly drive a wedge or have, in our case, have, have done that with our family. Not that long ago, some of my, um, some people in my extended family posted this to Facebook, like in November sometime. There was a, a meme, so if you're, I don't know, over 40 and you don't know what that is, 
It's like a picture with some kind of sarcastic comment on it. And it was a guy looking a little bit silly, one of the characters out of The Office. Is that right? Steve Carell out of The Office. And it was tagged with this. This guy looking kind of a bit frustrated, saying, when your family won't take Christmas breakfast tequila shots with you. Happy birthday, Jesus. Sorry your party's so lame. Apparently that's funny. Apparently that's, that's how, how, you know, I mean that was a bit of pretty clear message to us in our family about how we are perceived. And it wasn't very nice. Well, the rest of that day wasn't very nice. Uh, just to kind of know that, you know, that's not something that I would say to our face, but it's out there, isn't it? Last week, we read earlier in the book of Romans. We've actually just been doing like a real fly-through series in the book of Romans, if you've just here this morning, and we'll finish that up over the next couple of weeks. But in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, verse 5, we read this. For if we have been united with him, that is Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And we talked about that, how we are united to Jesus as believers. We're united to him in his death. We're united to him in his resurrection. In his death, we're united and our sin is dealt with in his resurrection. We are united and we're set free to a new way of living. And as a believer, you are able to live in a way that pleases God. Not that you might earn your salvation or that you might maintain your salvation, but that you are set free. Set free from that bondage of sin. You will still sin. You'll still fail. But you have a new freedom to do something different. And as Paul's gone on in the book of Romans, and we don't have time to go through every little detail of it, he's got to a point where he's actually going further out of that to explain that you are so united with Jesus that you're actually going to be united to him in more ways than what he's already said. If we go to chapter, seven, chapter 8, verse 17, which is just before the reading, if you've got a Bible, you can read it. If you've got the printout, you won't see it there. But chapter 8, verse 17 Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, that in order we might also share in his glory. Maybe you've experienced this like we did, you know, in a way at Christmas time. We experienced that rejection, that rejection that Jesus himself experienced. We shared in his sufferings. I mean, in a very minute way. We're not, you know, we're not being hauled through the streets, mocked and beaten. But we're still united with him and so sharing in his sufferings. Maybe you've experienced that. Well, the thing is, in Jesus there is deep joy and there's deep contentment. Yet around you in life, there is a constant grind to just get by. Maybe you experience this, that you can be up against it in your family life or in your life at your workplace. Or maybe it's just in your own private thought life you're up against it and where your mind constantly races to. 
And this leads me to the first point that I want to make today is that the Christian life is upside-down living. It is an upside-down life. Now, if you can remember back, if you know Romans chapter 1, or if you were here in the last Sunday in December where we heard it preached on, Romans chapter 1, at the beginning of this letter, Paul's explained how in sin the whole world got tipped on its head. The whole order that God brought to the world when he created it got tipped upside down. So that instead of God being worshipped as God, being able to rule and, and care and love his creation, he was rejected and put on the very bottom. And so instead people worshipped themselves, they worshipped idols, they worshipped, they expressed their worship in, in perverse ways through their sexuality and through idol worship and all these kind of things. The whole world has been tipped upside down. Sin undoes the order of creation. It brings chaos back to the creation instead of order. And chaos always brings with it destruction. Like in a minute way that I can explain in my family where there's those closeness of relationships just don't exist anymore. They've been destroyed. And the case is very clear that we need a saviour. We need someone to reverse this. Because chaos brings such destruction, we are hell-bent on distracting ourselves. And Jesus' death and resurrection does that saving. That is the truth that you and I know as believers. That is the truth that we value beyond anything else. Maybe you're someone that's been coming to this church for only six or eight months or a year. Or maybe you're someone that's been coming to this church not as a believer but to check it out and you hear us week after week talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is because that is the great gift that God has given to us that unites us, that defines us, that gives us hope, that transforms our lives. And we're unashamed about that because that is where the whole Bible points us to, to holding on to that hope. And so we will continue to go into that and delve into that and honour that and revere that and treasure that. That's who we are as a church. He died and was resurrected to do that saving. And so what that happens means is that our whole new life is a reversal, an undoing of the chaos, a putting back right the order that God created. Things are put right between us and God and then we're empowered to put things right in our relationships. However, there's a tension. There's a tension as we do all this and that's what verses 18 and 19 spell out for us. Let me reread them. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. See, what we have in Christ now is not what we will experience in glory. What we have as believers now and that tension that we might live through, that we should be living through if we're really on the path of following Jesus, it's actually not what we will have in glory. It will come to an end. God will do away with it. God will put right all things. For those of us who are believers, 
We, we will benefit greatly from that. For those who are still in rebellion against God, well, they will meet their final, their final judgment. But the thing is, we will suffer through this. As believers, you will suffer through this, but in suffering, you have hope. Hope to the point where Paul can so confidently say here, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the hope that's going to be revealed. So great the hope must be. Now, I don't want to deny that your suffering is real. Whether you suffer rejection, whether you suffer bullying in your workplace, whether you suffer something else, because in this passage it talks about that the whole creation is just out of whack, the world doesn't work as it should, you know, half our country's on fire, the world doesn't work as it should, half these fires will be put out by floods, the world doesn't work as, our should, as it should, does it? Our bodies decay, our bodies don't work, our brains don't even work properly. We suffer in so many different ways and I don't want to deny that your suffering is real. Never underplay it. Suffering is still suffering. Yet, it disappears by comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed and the foretaste of that glory is a resurrected Jesus. He endured all suffering and came out the other side resurrected in glory, seated in glory. The other thing that we must not do with suffering is, or, or with the gospel is, is overplay this truth. Um, some people might misinterpret the Bible at this point and say, well, really, if you're a believer, you should be freed of all those things because that's what will happen. If you haven't experienced signs and wonders of of complete healing from these things, this side of heaven, then are you really a believer? Don't overplay it like that. Don't make that mistake either. See, we don't want to underplay suffering. We don't want to overplay it. We want to understand that there is real hope found in Jesus through it. See, we suffer because it's yet to be revealed what God has done. Now, that doesn't mean that it's yet to be explain what God, is, what God will do. We know, we have sure reason for hope as believers. As sure as Jesus is resurrected from the dead, you have real reason for hope, yet that is not fully revealed. It's not like God said, here you go, there it is, and we kind of live with it and we kind of go, hang on, is that all that it is? It's not like that. It's, there is an element of this that is yet to be revealed. In fact, that's what, exactly what verse 17 says which comes before this, teaches us. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. We share with Jesus in his suffering, and I think that that primarily happens as we seek to live that right way up life in a world that is still upside down. A right way up life that is still upside down. And I've Moving on to my second point now, and I've already kind of foreshadowed this, that the whole creation around us is also suffering through this upside-downness. 
Chapter 1 actually tells us more that creation reveals the glory of God. If you go back into Psalm 19, it speaks about this. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. See, the creation all around us gives us a sense that God exists. It gives us a sense that God is truly there. But I think that the creation and its brokenness also speaks to us about this problem of sin. If you believe from some other worldview, from some other part of your upbringing or thinking that human endeavour can fix the problems of this world, if you believe what the mainstream media says along those lines, then you're ignoring what we actually see. You're ignoring what's actually self-evident in the creation, that the whole creation is subjected to frustration, these verses tell us. Now, whether that will help you just to convince you and, and help you go deeper in your faith, that's great, but I actually think most of us probably understand that. And I want to challenge us to remember that as being people who are not just holding on to this treasured gospel for ourselves, but actually keen to share it with people, I want you to remember that God's creation is on your side. Because not only does it point to there being a creator, it points to the problem that the gospel solves. The decay that we see speaks to the curse of sin, as that curse of sin comes into all of life. And so the last point is to remember that we have hope. As we live an upside, a right way up life in an upside down world, a world that's evidently decaying, we have hope beyond it. We hold on to hope and we hold out hope. We hold on to hope and we old out hope. In there, he talks about how the world is almost as if it's in childbirth. If you've witnessed childbirth, you see that it's maybe agonising, maybe painful. It's definitely hard work. But it's all this pressure. And it's all happening. But what results from it? Is the joyful child that you hold in your arms at the end of it. A new life, a reformed life. These verses, as I was thinking through them, it couldn't, I couldn't help but remember the birth of one of our children, of Luna. The, the day that Luna was born, she's two, uh, two and a half, she's very cheeky, the little blonde girl you'll see running around at morning tea time. The night that she was born... Well, the morning that she was born, so the morning of the day that she was born, I'm not being very clear, am I? We went and saw the midwife. No sign, she said. No sign that this baby's coming anytime soon. At that time, we had a foster child, a, a teenager who we were fostering. Uh, she was 15, I think. And she was pretty um, lively girl, pretty difficult a lot of the times. And we had to deal with something with her. She'd been stealing, and so we had to sit and talk with her. And she just couldn't cope. She couldn't cope with having to confront that and deal with that. And in her frustration, 
She punched the mirror in her bedroom and broke her hand. And it was pretty, I mean, I'm telling you a very um, calm manner, but it was a pretty shocking and pretty uh, heated um, hour or so as we tried to deal with this. And we didn't know that it was broken at the time, but that was kind of like the end. I can't even remember. She might have even stormed out of the house uh, that night. But the, the kind of the chaos of all that and the pressure of all that and the fear that that, um, that that brought basically sent Tara into labor. We'd already planned to have, our, have the birth at home. We'd engaged with a midwife and she was on call, ready to come and deliver the baby in our home whenever it was time. But Tara jumped into labor so quickly that within a couple of hours... Luna was born in the shower and the midwife was still halfway here from Lismore. And I was pretty useless. Tara basically delivered herself. Now, Luna, Luna's name is, Luna is Latin for moon. Uh, she was born in the night. And her middle name is Joy. And she's beautiful. And she was such a sweet baby. Sunny was such a hard baby. <laughs> Um, he's still a bit of a difficult kid, but he was colicky and never slept, still struggles to sleep. Luna basically slept from the moment that she was born and she just came out and she was such a joy to have in the house. She brought calm and peace into that situation. And her middle name is Joy and that's from that psalm that I read at the start of the, of the um, service. Uh, in the NIV translation, it doesn't use the word joy, but verse 5 of that psalm, of Psalm 30, says, Weeping might last for the night, but joy arrives in the morning. Weeping will last for the night, but joy will arrive in the morning. So sure is the hope of what... God has brought about in the Lord Jesus. That story is just an allegory, really. But it, it spells the picture of hope and of joy being born out of chaos. That's what God's doing in his gospel. That's what God has been doing. The seed of it is right back in creation. If you read the first two verses of the Bible, you read about a big lump of water with chaotic water all over it. And as soon as God speaks, well, the water settles down. And he separates this and he moves this there and he brings light and day and land and animals. And he brings order out of chaos. And in speaking the truth, of a man crucified and resurrected in our place. He speaks a word that brings order out of chaos. And he brings hope, a hope that will endure, a joy that will come in the morning, and a joy that will sustain. So I don't know whatever you're walking through this morning, I don't know how much you can identify 
with sharing in the sufferings of Jesus this morning or identify the grind of walking a life that is the right way up in a world that is the wrong way up, whatever you can identify of that with, know that in the gospel, that in the truth of the Lord Jesus, crucified and resurrected, there is a hope. There is the only hope. And that hope will endure to the end. It will endure to the end. At the time, not long after this happened, in church we were preaching through the Psalms. And I don't know whether you participated in this, but we were challenged to write a psalm. We were challenged to write a psalm. I'm, I'm referring to the time when Luna was born and we had a foster child and all that kind of stuff. And after the foster care agency had taken her away because she was too much of a risk to our own children, this was the psalm that I wrote. There is so much injustice. The systems fail, so many loopholes, huge gaping gaps. You, Lord, you've called us to love and care and you've sustained us. Let it not be for nothing. As I bury my head in my pillow, the tears that well up come from deep inside, but there is no disappointment with you, Lord. Even when I was tempted to doubt or call out to you in anger, I never made it there. Your mercy and your grace was all that I could remember. You have grown me throughout my years to prepare me for this time. Your mercy and kindness is who you are in my life. The rock you set my life on is strong and wide and deep. This didn't break me because your spirit is strong. He's powerful. Lord, keep me walking in your spirit. Remember that sometimes you need this hope in the face of hostility. Sometimes you just need it in the face of brokenness. Often you will need it in the face of just your own failure, your own frustration at your inability to get things right even on your 50th chance, even in your 80th year of living. I believe that we all have these broken parts, but we have hope beyond them. So remember this, the whole earth is groaning. The whole earth screams out, hopeless, 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 but the gospel speaks of hope. The whole earth is groaning from the overturning of sin. People are well aware of that frustration. So share the hope of Jesus with them. Hold out hope to them. The second thing is to remember that you are being pulled constantly between the two extremes of your suffering for being serious about Jesus and your taste of the glory of God. Remember that you're being pulled between those extremes. So be encouraged to live out of that foretaste of glory. There is more than enough provided that Paul can say, right there, I, I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Remember that. And remember that God is so good that even in your suffering, he will grow you. 
Romans chapter 8 rounds out a section in Romans that starts back at Romans chapter 5. I'm going to finish just by reading that part to us. And hear in this how God, through giving you hope, that lasts through suffering, will actually grow you. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we give you great thanks. Lord, that we can speak these truths, we can speak them with confidence because we know you are risen. Lord, we can speak them with joy. Lord, because we know that you are powerful, that you have overcome, Lord, the problems of this world. Lord, that you are greater than the problems that we experience in this world. But Father, we rely on you to tenderly deal with us as we suffer. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we thank you that you endure with us. Lord, that you carry us. Lord, we thank you that you give us hopes to sustain us. Lord, through whatever we go through. Father, I just ask that you would build up in the hearts of all of us here this morning just a deeper gratitude for what you've done, a deeper joy in what you've done, and Lord, a greater sense of hope that we might hope in a way that overcomes the trials that we face. Lord, we ask it dependent on you and your spirit and your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.